We are going to look at Jesus in the Old Testament uh, this morning. So we have a lot of work to do. Get your pens out, get your notes out. If you don't have a pen, what do they say? Find the lady with the biggest purse in the row and ask for a pen. So um, as you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Father, we just thank you. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And Lord, we just pray that as we hear from your word today, that our faith will be increased. And um, Lord, just pray you'll open our eyes to what it is you want us to hear and what it is you want us to see. And Lord, be our vision um, so that we can, we can know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's absolutely no way to... Um, scratch the surface of Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, so 30 or 45 minutes isn't, isn't going to do uh, justice to all that could be done. So there's 39 books in the Old Testament. We could do that for 39 years and look for Jesus for that long, and we still wouldn't, we still wouldn't even hit it all. So um, what, what I'm going to do this morning is hopefully give us some reasons why we need to look, at, look for Jesus in the Old Testament and give us kind of some tools as to how to do that. How do I find Jesus in the Old Testament? And, um, you know, one of the, one of the things I was thinking about is why in the world, why would we do that? Why would we look for Jesus in the Old Testament? Because we know that Jesus in the New Testament, his name's there, the stories are there of his life. We can read it. And even we don't, we don't even have that down very well, some of us. And so we know that uh, at least I did. I grew up hearing the Old Testament a lot, and as a kid, we, you know, we'd learn all their the characters in the New or Old Testament, and you'd want to be like those people, or you didn't want to be like those people, and 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 you'd, you'd learn why, and then you'd hear a bunch of stories, whether it was the battles of Israel or whatever it was that you wanted to place yourself into that story, and they were neat stories, or there's, you know poems and songs that, you know, we make you feel good every day or whatever that you read. And, and then there's law and the prophets that sometimes you skip over because you don't really understand it. Um, what I hope to get, uh, you know, hopefully what we get out of today is that Jesus is kind of a thread that brings the Old and New Testament all together. And, um, and, and this is not my words. This is not something I thought up. Um, this is something that Jesus thought up. So look at your, your notes. Uh, number one, why do we need to see Jesus in the Old Testament? Because number one, Jesus said that the Old Testament pointed to him. He said the Old Testament pointed to him. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 5. Um, and as you're turning there, at this point in time, Jesus was uh, with a group of Jewish people. Uh, there were probably a lot of Jewish religious leaders in that group as well. And he was really beginning to tick them off, basically. Uh, Jesus did a couple things. We'll see what those are. The first thing he was doing was healing a man on the Sabbath day. So if you know anything about the Sabbath day, it is uh, one of the Ten Commandments. Anybody which know which one? Number four. Very good. Somebody over here said it, maybe. Fourth commandment. It's in Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Jewish people were told by Moses in the law that was given to, to him by God that they were to rest on the seventh day on Saturday. 
And it was very important to them. And it was a day where God set it aside as a sign to them to remember God, their creator who created for six days and then rested on the seventh. And also it was a sign to them to remember God, their savior who saved them out of Egypt from the slavery there and who brought them into his rest and his safety and his freedom that only he could give. So that is what the Sabbath was, was about. And there was one other thing about the Sabbath day. In Exodus thirty-one fourteen, it says, You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. So if you broke the Sabbath day and did work, you could and would be put to death. And there's a story in Numbers 15 of, of a guy who went out collecting wood to make a fire and the Jewish people saw him and they went to their leader Moses and said, hey, this guy's collecting wood on the Sabbath. What do we do? And so Moses asked God and God said, stone him. So God took his law very seriously and the Jewish people took his law very seriously as well. So you have Jesus on the Sabbath healing a guy. Now, the thing about the Sabbath day is that in the Old Testament, there's not very many regulations as to what the work is that you're not supposed to do. So there's, you'd think if God said, don't work on the Sabbath, there'd be a list of 50 things you shouldn't do. And then if you don't do those, you'll be okay. But there really isn't a list. There's maybe just a few things that you kind of pick out here and there, but there's no list of the work that you're not supposed to do. So some very righteous and self-righteous guys decided we're going to decide for all of you what the work is you're not supposed to do. And so they made a big list, and that included things like you couldn't take two threads and twist them together. You couldn't write down two letters on a piece of paper or erase them. So that's how minute they got with their work that you weren't supposed to do. So it kind of seems like you'd have to just stand there in a room and not do anything, uh, or you'd be accused of doing work. But there really, God didn't give a list. But these guys made up a list. And so when Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, which he didn't, he, he didn't just do it one time, he did it a couple times, they didn't like it and said, it's bad, it's wrong for you to heal someone on the Sabbath day. Sounds kind of crazy, but that's how it was. So look in John 5, verse 16. It says, And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, why did the Jewish people want to kill Jesus? Number one, he was breaking the Sabbath, apparently. And number two, he made himself equal with God. He called himself God. That's why they wanted to kill him. And that was a tipping point for these people. They didn't believe Jesus was God. But they were presented with that case from Jesus. And I think that's the tipping point for all of us as well. Because we can think about Jesus as a good man, a good prophet, a good teacher, a good person who wrote down some nice things that if we live by him, things might go a little better. But Jesus said he was God. And that's a big deal. If I got up here this morning and my first thing was, you know what? I've got something to tell you guys. I'm God. And there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, probably the big group of you would come up and throw me off the stage. 
So you don't just be a good guy. I think I'm a pretty good guy, you know. Can't be just a good guy who gets up and says, I'm God. And that's what Jesus did. Um, I went to uh, Cedar Point with, with students uh, a couple weeks ago. And my plan was on the bus. We took a bus. We had 56 people, 50 kids, 6 adults. And um, on this bus, you can watch movies. And so my plan was this three-hour trip to Cedar Point at 7 in the morning. I was going to sleep. Um, and that, don't laugh. It, it happens. It has happened before. I've slept on that bus. And so um, usually the guy in charge of the trip, me, gets to sit in the front seat uh, near the driver so that I can have the little microphone to tell everybody to do whatever they do or make dumb jokes, whatever I do on it. So my plan was to sleep on the way there at 7 o'clock till we got there, 9.30 or 10, and then sleep on the way back when we left at 10 p.m. and got home at 1, and I would be good to go the next day. Well, our bus driver had different ideas. He was a super nice guy, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He just moved here from L.A., and um, he and I talked the whole way there. <laughs> I even had a pillow. I brought a pillow, and he saw my pillow, but that's okay. So we talked the whole way there, and then on the way back, after whatever, 12 hours of walking around in 100-degree heat, and you'll want to sleep, we talked, Okay. And there's, a, there's other people who can attest to the truth of that. So we, we talked for five hours. And, it, and it, it, was, it was a great talk, and I would have rather not have slept. Because we ended up on this conversation, is Jesus God? Is he just a good guy? Is he just a prophet? Or is he just a big fat liar that we should write off as some nutcase? And that was our discussion for, for a good chunk of it. And so this is what these people were being presented with from Jesus. And they were um, at this point probably a disrupted beehive of a group of people. And they wanted to kill him. And there were numerous times that they tried to do so. And so he begins to tell the people why he has the authority to do it. There are times when they try to kill him and he just disappears. But this time he chose to stick around and talk to him. So he begins to tell them why he has the authority to heal on the Sabbath. And then he tells them and gives them proof um, to try to show them things that bear witness about who he is and what he has done. Um, in, the, in the Jewish culture and in the law that God gave them, you had to have at least two other witnesses to prove yourself to be true. Okay? So now a lot of times, Jesus will start out by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. So I read that to my kids the other night in, in, in the Bible, and they're like, why does Jesus always say truly, truly? That sounds weird. Well, what he's doing is when he does that, he is saying, I have the authority to be a witness for myself, and I'm true, and you, I don't need any other proof to prove that to you. This time he didn't choose to do that, but he says... He tells him first that John the Baptist testified about him. He said then that his miracles and his works prove who he is. And then he said that God the Father, through his word, testified about who he is as well. And now look at John 5.39. Jesus tells the people, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
Whenever the New Testament says the word scriptures, it's talking about the Old Testament. Because those, the, the people back then had the Old Testament, and the New Testament wasn't written down yet. They didn't have that. So the, the scriptures in the New Testament refer to the Old Testament every time. So, he is saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So he wasn't rebuking them for reading the scriptures. He was rebuking them for the way they did it. So if Jesus were in this room this morning, and he came up to us and and mentioned, talked to us about how we read the scriptures, what would he say? Because I I know a lot of times I fall into a lot of these categories. Sometimes... I hear that the Bible, that's a roadmap for my life. And it is the thing that's going to put me down the right path and lead me to this great life. Or some people might say they read the Bible because they feel like if I read the Bible every day for that 15 minutes in the morning, that's going to make me a good Christian that I'm supposed to be. Because that's what we're supposed to do, right? Or or how many how many times... I tried to read the Bible in a year because, boy, I've tried so many times and about February 20th, I'm done, right? And then I feel guilty because I just didn't do it right. Some people might say they read the Bible because, you know, it's a good literary work that we've got to read. Um, When I was in high school, I went to public high school and we we read part of the Bible in a class as a literary work. Some people might say that. So some people might say they read the Bible because it's the thing that gets me through the day. It's the thing that's going to bring life to my day. These words. We could go on and on. There's a million reasons. I know that when I was, I was in grade school, from kindergarten through eighth grade in a Christian school, I read the Bible to get a good grade. And so I did it for nine years. No other reason. I don't think, I don't, I didn't start reading the Bible on my own for, for, myself to learn something till I was about 19. So we could go on and on about those things. And Jesus is telling these people, he's like, if you think that if you study enough, know enough, obey enough, that somehow that through that, God's going to give you grace and he's going to give you eternal life and he's going to give you that good life and that good day that you think you're going to have by reading some words, you've missed the point. He says, you've missed the point because it's they that bear witness about me. And then he says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So how many times have we read God's word and the primary focus has been on ourselves and not on Christ? Jesus would say we've missed the point. Or how often are we faced with the truth of God's word and the truth about what Christ has done and how he has done the work for us and for us and finished that work. But we refuse to come to him and say, but I want to do more. I, I can do it myself. And if I do this and do enough of this, then God's going to grant me that favor with him and I'll make him happy by the things that I do. We refuse to come to him that we may have life. And we think we can come to ourselves and do things so that we can have life. And Jesus said, you've missed the point and that's wrong. I look at verse 46. He says, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus gets more specific with them. He says, not just the scriptures, the Old Testament, but then he, then he picks on the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
And he says, you don't even believe Moses. Now, to them, to these Jewish people, that was the biggest insult, one of the biggest insults he could have given. Because those five books were the books that they knew the most. And the majority of the Jewish people knew those and had memorized a lot of it. And he says, you don't even believe Moses. And they're the books that, you know, creation, the flood, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, you know, Noah. Okay, God giving the law of how to live and how to worship him. Okay, these were the things that the Jewish people knew. If they knew anything of the scriptures, they knew Moses. But he says, you don't even believe Moses. You don't even know what Moses is talking about. And I think also those are some of the books that we know the best, right? We've grown up hearing creation, the flood, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we've got all these characters that we know the stories of. And we know about the Exodus and the, you know, Moses saving the people from Egypt and leading them through the Red Sea and, you know, going to Mount Sinai. We've heard those things. So even the books of Moses, I think, are some of the ones that we know the most. But he says, you don't even understand it. And so he says, "If if you haven't seen me, if you haven't seen Jesus in the Old Testament, if you haven't seen Jesus in Moses, you've totally missed the point of the Old Testament. So Jesus said the Old Testament points to him. Number two, Jesus taught others how the Old Testament is about him. So he not only said it, he taught it. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13. And while you turn there, basically at this point too, Jesus had risen from the dead. The women had gone to his tomb and found it empty and found an angel. Then they ran back to the disciples and said, He's gone. He's not there. We saw an angel. Uh, Peter runs there. He sees the same thing. So the same day, verse 13. This is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. So we're going to read the whole thing. Verse 13. That very day, two of them, two of his disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened, uh, wait, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That is the ultimate big brother trick that I wish I could pull. If you hear people talking about you, then you just, you know, move into the conversation with them You can blind their eyes, they don't recognize you, and then start talking, and you can find out all they think about you. Okay? That's what he's doing. Jesus has a sense of humor, and I don't think many of us think that. We think of the Jesus in the, you know, the white robe, blue sash, looking at us, (laughs) lovingly, you know? So, verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? They're like, Are you dumb? Haven't you heard anything? Jesus says, What things? So he's playing dumb. He's playing along. He's like, What are you talking about? Fill me in. So they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
And besides this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had, women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now he turns the tables and says, Are you dumb? He says, Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So they still don't know who he is. They just said, We thought this guy, and we thought he was the Messiah. But now it's three days later and he's gone. And Jesus is like, What? Why don't you know this? You should have read the prophets. That's what he said. You're slow of heart to believe the pro- what the prophets had spoken. So Jesus is saying, I know. I know what's going on. You guys don't. Verse 27, this is the most important verse in the whole passage. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he started with the five books of Moses. Then he went to the 17 prophets of the Old Testament. And then he filled in everything in between in seven mile in a seven mile walk i don't know how long that takes but explain to them how he was all over the old testament i wish i was at that class and then in verse 28 it says they drew near to the village to which they were going and he acted as if he were going farther so jesus he's walking along and he's like oh see you guys i'm gonna keep going he's got a sense of humor So he acted like he was going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. We've heard that before. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then they said, Jesus, and then he vanished. He's like, see ya. I think it's funny. (laughs) He vanished. And they said to each other, this is a great verse too. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? When was the last time your heart burned within you because you read the scriptures? But what, what did they say that he did? It says he opened up the scriptures to them. That's why their hearts burned within them. So imagine the Old Testament is a locked door that for Thousands of years, people have been trying to open and figure out and learn what it, was, what it meant and how to open it up. But they couldn't do that until Jesus came. And so now he says, it's about me. He gives them the key to open that door to the Old Testament. And when he did, their hearts burned within them. I know when I was a kid that we would always get out of our car we would go to the back door, which for some reason, as I remembered, never had a light over it. So we'd get out of the car, you know, and whoever ran up to the door first was like, Dad, give me the key. Okay, or my mom would be like, Honey, where's the key? Oh, hold on, I'm coming. And he'd get the key, try to look through all the 50 keys on his key ring. I didn't find it. Oh, it's wrong one. You know? And so you had to learn, like when I was old enough, you know, to take the car. Uh, you had to learn what the key felt like, pretty much. Okay? We don't open doors without the key. We almost don't even touch the door. 
So, so he's saying, I'm the key that opens the door of the, the entire Old Testament. And the thing is, when we read the Old Testament, when we read the entire Bible, whatever we read, our hearts need to be burning within us. There's a story about um, John Wesley, who's an 18th century preacher and uh, the founder of the Methodist Church. Uh, the story goes that people would ask him, how much should I read the Bible? How often should I read the Bible? What do I do with this Bible? And here's his answer. He said, pick, pick a passage, pick a verse, and read it, and read it again, and read it again, and read it again until it burns. He said, read until it burns. And I think what he was talking about was Luke 24, because he knew that unless people read the Bible to see Jesus, they're missing the point. If they're reading that Bible just to do the duty of reading their Bible every day or doing, reading the Bible so that they get something good out of it with missing Jesus, they miss the point. So we need to read the Bible till it burns. Read until we find Jesus. And then they had another response, these two disciples in verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So what happened when they figured out that the scripture was about Jesus and saw something new that they hadn't seen before? They had walked their almost seven miles to Emmaus and they turned around from whatever they were going to do there. They turned around and stopped and ran back to these people and said, We get it now. He is risen. Because remember before they were talking to Jesus on the road and they're like, we thought he was the Messiah. But maybe we're wrong. But they came back and they're like, I get it. When was the last time you read the Bible and it just burned in you and had to call somebody and tell them? I'm not talking about the, the weekly call to your accountability partner to tell them what you read. I read a, read a chapter of the Bible every week this week from the book of Psalms. It was great. But you read something and you just couldn't help it, but tell somebody. That's the response that, that God's word should give us. And it can. So Jesus said that the Old Testament was about him or is about him. And he taught others how the Old Testament was about him. But here's the thing. How do we begin to do that? How can we see Jesus in the Old Testament? So if Jesus is that key to opening that locked door of the Old Testament, wouldn't you want to have that key? First thing we got to do, read about and study Jesus in the New Testament first. We've got to know Jesus in the New Testament in order to understand the Old Testament. I'm not telling you not to read the Old Testament, but what I'm telling you is, if we have the key to open the door, better get the key before you try to open the door. So we need to understand and, and, and study Jesus in the New Testament first. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an example of that, and we're going to see how Jesus is woven all throughout Scripture. So this is the time to make sparks with your pen if you want. And uh, here we go. So we'll start in John chapter 1. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning. What does that make you think of? Baseball. In the beginning. <laughs> all right. So yes, Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? He's us. 
In the beginning was Jesus, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, in John 1, first three verses, you have some big ideas. Jesus is God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the Creator. And Jesus brings light to darkness. Now, you go to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What should happen if you know Jesus in the New Testament and then you decide, oh, I'm going to read Genesis 1. John 1 should just pop off the page to you. Because in the beginning, oh, Jesus was in the beginning. Because I know that in John, it said Jesus was in the beginning with God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, I know also in John 1 that Jesus is God. And I also know that Jesus created. All things were made through him in John 1. So Genesis 1 is like John 1. But then we got to read Genesis 1, verse 2 and 3. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So at the beginning of creation, there was darkness. And then God said, let there be light. But if you know the rest of the story, the sun and the moon were not created until day four. Who said that? If I had a piece of candy, I'd give it to you. Day four. So where'd the light come from? Jesus. I'm not going to die on that hill. But why would I think that? Well, because I know Jesus in the New Testament... First, that in Revelation 21, 23, it talks about heaven, it talks about the new Jerusalem, and it says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So, in heaven, there's no sun or moon, but there's a glowing sheep. There's a glowing sheep. Now, those of us who've grown up in church and all of that, we can talk about lambs, we can talk about glorious, beautiful blood, and we're like, that's great. But other people would like, you read Revelation 21, 23, there's a, there's a glowing, shining sheep in heaven. So, who's the lamb? Jesus. How do I know that? Because I know Jesus in the New Testament, when he appeared as an adult in front of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist pointed to him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we know that Jesus is the Lamb who is possibly the source of light to the world before the sun. And according to John 1, back to John 1, he gives figurative light to the world that brings life to men. And he will give actual light in heaven so that there's no need for the sun or the moon. So somebody still might say, so is Jesus a glowing sheep? And you'd have to say, no, 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 no. He's not, but I can tell you why it says that. And then you go to your favorite book to study, Leviticus, and you read about the lamb that was used for a sacrifice, which, which was a picture of what God gave the Jewish people and how their sins are forgiven. And we would see that a lamb, in order to be a sacrifice, was supposed to be spotless and clean with no blemish or bruise. And then that lamb's blood would be shed as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people or the group the person or the group of people who offered that sacrifice. And then you would say, that's why Jesus is called a lamb, because he was a perfect, spotless, sinless 
Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and his shed blood on the cross was an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not for, for everybody's sins, not just for the person who offered some sacrifice. And then they would say, really? And you go to Ephesians 5 too. And you'd read them. It says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We could do this all day. We could do it all day. And, and hopefully what you saw there is we went from John 1 to Genesis to Revelation, back to John to Leviticus to Ephesians. And the only way you're going to understand any of that is if you understand who Jesus is. If we don't understand who Jesus is in the New Testament, that's been revealed to us, that is the key to understanding the Old Testament. We're just going to have a bunch of lambs and light and stuff that was created. And we'll have no clue why. And we'll just have a bunch of knowledge that'll say, oh, I know that. That's great. So, the next thing. Next question. Or next thing we have to do is look for times where the New Testament refers to or quotes the Old Testament. Look for times where the New Testament refers to or quotes the Old Testament. So as you're reading the New Testament, there are going to be times where it refers to the Old Testament. There's hundreds of times where it does that. But what I, where we would start, if you might go about this, where you would start is look for the words, it is written. So in the New Testament, when it says it is written or as it is written or it was written, whatever it says, is referring to the Old Testament, is quoting the Old Testament. So I'm just going to, we're just going to look at three of those times, uh, actually two, two of those times, and then another time where it, where it alludes to the Old Testament. But um, not much commentary, we're just going to look at them. So Romans 11.26 says, And in this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And that comes from Isaiah 59.20. It says, And a redeemer will come from Zion to those in Jacob who turn from their transgressions. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And that comes from Deuteronomy 21.23. There was a law that for some reason God threw in there that if somebody died by, by hanging on a tree or wood, what? That his body shall not remain all night on that tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. So there's this obscure law that you would more normally pass over and not think about, but it's talking about Jesus. It's a law that's a prophecy about Jesus. The next one, this one does not say it is written, but it says in Matthew one twenty three, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's from Isaiah 7.14, which says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we need to be aware of the times in the New Testament where it refers to the old. And you will, your eyes, our eyes will be opened to Jesus in a whole new way. A whole new way that you've probably not looked at very much. So the next few things we need to look at is, is when we're studying the Old Testament, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. So here are the tools. Here's more of how do I do this? How do I see Jesus? First one, how is this character like or unlike Jesus? And how is Jesus a better version? How is this character like or unlike Jesus? And how is Jesus a better version? 
uh, before we get to individual characters, I want to point out a character you're not going to look for too much. Um, in the Old Testament, where it says, the angel of the Lord came. Not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ coming to earth in the flesh before he came in the flesh as a baby. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is Jesus. It has, it's presented having very human characteristics, doing human things like eating. It demands worship. The angel of the Lord demands worship. It, the angel of the Lord is worshiped. The angel of the Lord does miracles. The angel of the Lord ascends to heaven and descends to the earth multiple times. It, it says that the, the angel of the Lord says that his words are the words of God. So it's very interesting. It's a very interesting study through the Old Testament if you desire to do so. Look for the angel of the Lord. It's Jesus. So what I did this week on Facebook is I asked a question. Who's your favorite character in the Bible other than Jesus? And I got a lot of responses. And so what I want to do is I pick some of those. And we're going to see how Jesus is a better version or how Jesus is like or unlike these people. Um, and I have to give credit where it's due. Um, there's a pastor uh, and, and writer, Tim Keller, who kind of sparked my brain with these things. He has a, he has a video. He, well, it's more of a sermon he gave. But he talks about Jesus as a true and better than name your character. Jesus is a true and better Adam. Jesus is a true and better Moses. And then he tells you why. So if you want to, if you're into, if you get on YouTube and you want to do a search for Tim Keller, true and better, you'll find it. So this is kind of where I'm taking the idea from. So we're going we're gonna, to just going to go through a few of them. So starting with Jonah, you thought we were done. Just as Jonah was alive in the belly of a fish for three days, and then emerged still alive to preach repentance and hopefully be received by 120,000 Ninevites. Jesus did a greater work by spending three days dead in a grave and resurrecting, not just to preach repentance, but to grant repentance and to give eternal life and be received, not just by 120,000, but to all who would receive and believe in him. I think that just gives us a better picture of Jonah. Jonah's not about Jonah or about us primarily. It's primarily about Jesus. Next one, Job. Job was an upright man who feared the Lord, and God allowed him to be afflicted and tested by Satan and have all but his life taken from him. And then God graciously restored back to him what he had lost. So like Job, Jesus was not only an upright man who was tested by Satan, but he was a perfect man who was tested by Satan. And he freely gave up even his life and had that life restored by the power of God, the same power that's at work in all of us who believe. That's what Job's about. Job's about Jesus. Joseph. There's a million things we could say about Joseph and Jesus, but here's a few. Like Joseph, Jesus was betrayed by his brothers, resisted temptation, and ended up at the right hand of the king in a position to save us, his family. Next one, Samson. Like Samson, Jesus is a great judge and defender of his people who in the end, though being afflicted, conquered his enemy. But unlike Samson, it was the sin of others and not his own which led to his death. The next one, and this is not one I had thought about until it was given to me on Facebook. Hannah. Just as God gave Hannah a child who would serve God his entire life, 
All of those or all of us who have become children of God through faith have been given to Jesus as a gift by God the Father so that we can do the good works that he has prepared for us in advance. Hannah's about Jesus. Next one, David. Just as David defeated Goliath the giant with a rock so that the Israelites would not have to be slaves, Jesus is the rock who defeated the ultimate foe called sin and his victory has become our victory and we no longer have to be slaves of sin. The next one, Adam. This is straight out of Romans 5. Just as sin came into the world through Adam and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, and just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness by Christ dying on the cross leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man, Adam, his disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man, Jesus, through his obedience, the many will be made righteous. So Jesus is better and is a better version of all these characters. Now, not every character in the Bible Jesus is like, um, but there's a great number of them. And, and when he's not like or unlike one, maybe there's a connection. So here's one that whoever sent it to me on Facebook thought they were being funny. And they said, my favorite character in the Bible is Bathsheba, because that's my cat's name, was the response on Facebook. So, <laughs> so, I don't think she's like Jesus. I couldn't figure that one out, but I think there's a connection. She was the mournful mother of a child who was born a son of King David, and that child would end up dying on account of the sins of his mother. Jesus also was a son in the line of King David who would end up dying on account of the sins of the entire world, including the sins of his mother Mary, who was only human and mourned the loss of her son as well. I never thought about that till a week ago. So, we need to look at the characters and people of the Bible, not just as people we want, we want to be like or unlike. We need to look at them as, is Jesus like them? Is Jesus not, how is Jesus not like them? And how is he better than them? Because Jesus is better than all of them. The next thing. When studying the Old Testament, ask yourself, does the thing, and that is the word that I chose, does the thing you're reading about represent or foreshadow, foreshadow Jesus Christ? So there's lots of people, but there's also lots of things. Uh, I just pick four of them that are all throughout the Old Testament and, uh, and are big symbols and real things to the Jewish people. So I'm going to pick, pick four. The first one is the lamb and the sacrifice. We already looked at that. But 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus is our Passover lamb so that we no longer have to have a Passover lamb. Does that make sense? We don't do that anymore. And that's why. If you ever thought about that? You're reading the Old Testament. You're reading Leviticus like you love to. You're reading about the lambs. You're like, why don't we do that anymore? Jesus. He's been sacrificed. He's a perfect and better Passover lamb. The next thing is Sabbath. The book of Hebrews alludes to Christ being a better Sabbath. Because in him we completely cease from trusting our works for salvation and trust in his work alone on the cross, therefore finding the only true rest that's available. 
So reading through those commandments, the Sabbath, why don't we do that anymore? Because Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And it's constant. It's not one day of the week. The next thing, the temple. In Revelation 21, 22, this is again talking about the new Jerusalem or heaven. John says in his vision, and I saw no temple in that city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. Jesus is the temple. He's a better temple that one day every knee is going to bow and worship at. There's no need for a temple anymore. The last thing is a rock. 1 Corinthians 10.4. This is talking about the Israelites who wandered around in the wilderness after being rescued from Egypt. It says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's just, a, that's just an amazing picture that if you know that story in the wilderness about the rock giving the people water, it just opens up a whole new world of understanding it. So, we need to look at the characters, we need to look at the things, and the last thing is, does the story you're reading remind you of Jesus in any way? So what we're going to do, and I think we've done it before here, we're going to look at every book of the Bible, and we're going to, or the Old Testament, Look at every book in the Old Testament. And we're going to see how Jesus is the main theme in each book. So, here we go. In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman who will ultimately crush the serpent. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb whose blood rescues the people. And he is the deliverer who frees his people from slavery. In Leviticus, he is the great high priest who has been tempted in every way that we have been but without sin. In Numbers, he is the cloud and the fire who leads his people, and he is the rock who, when struck, provides living water. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like Moses and our city of refuge. In Joshua, he is our captain who leads us to the promised land. In Judges, he is the lawgiver and the judge who stands up for his people. In Ruth, he is a kinsman redeemer who joyfully takes the burden of others and loves them unconditionally. In First and Second Samuel, he is the prophet of the Lord, and he is a true shepherd who defeated the giant of sin, and that victory is imputed to all of his people. In First and Second Kings, he is a reigning king and the prophet who multiplied the bread and healed those with leprosy. In First and Second Chronicles, he is the temple of God where one day all people will bow down and worship. In Ezra, he is a faithful scribe who upholds and is the word of God. In Nehemiah, he is the one who is willing to drink the cup of God's wrath and leave his high position in order to serve his people. In Esther, he is, the willing, he is willing to place himself in a position as a representative for all the people to save the people at the risk of his own life. In Job, he is the one who laid the foundations of the earth and commands his creation. In Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, he is the good shepherd who leads us into all wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he is the lover of our souls and the perfect bridegroom to his bride, the church. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet and the righteous branch who weeps for the righteousness of his people. In Ezekiel, he is the descendant of King David. In Daniel, he is the son of man who comes on the clouds of heaven. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband to his adulterous wife. In Joel, he is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is the one who bears our burdens and the one who caused God to darken the sky. 
In Obadiah, he is a mighty savior. In Jonah, he is a forgiving God. In Micah, he is the ancient of days. In Nahum, he is the avenger of his people who is slow to anger and great in power. In Habakkuk, he is a great evangelist who prays and intercedes on behalf of his people. In Zephaniah, he is the restorer. In Haggai, he is the dew from heaven who brings life. In Zechariah, he is the pure son. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. So... How have you been reading the Bible? If it's not about Jesus, you've missed the point. We've missed the point. I do it a lot too. And we've, I, I, I think, hopefully, if, if any of this you've heard, you've heard that the Bible is about Jesus. And I think there might be some of us, including myself in here, who read the Bible at times and we do it thinking that in our knowledge and study and work learning the Bible that in that we have eternal life, but it's in Jesus that we have eternal life. And he's the one that rescues us. He's the one that gives us true rest. And there's nothing else. Maybe you've been scared of the Old Testament. Um, here's what I'll tell you. It, it, it's, a, it's neat when you see all this stuff, but it takes work. It takes work. And, and like John Wesley said, I'd, I'd rather you read the same passage over and over and over and over again until it burns, until you've seen Jesus, until you've asked somebody, I can't see Jesus, how do I see Jesus? And then you help each other do that. Maybe all you've done is read the Bible and think that that is the thing that gets you eternal life and you've never come to Jesus for life. What I want to do, I want to ask the, the worship team to come back up and the, and the prayer partners, if you would. Um, and just ask these folks to pray with you. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians, it says that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is the one who searches the deep things of God and teaches them to us. So maybe it's just a matter of, wow, this is, this is some big stuff I've never seen before, and I need the Holy Spirit to show that to me and help me understand it. These folks would be so happy to pray that for you. Maybe it's that you have not put your faith in Christ and followed him. You've been following your own works and your own way of doing things. But it's only Jesus who can give that living water. These folks would love to tell you about Christ and how he can grant you repentance and how you don't have to earn it. So let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you that you are... um, wonderful and great and mighty and that you sent your son who is the living word of God to us to reveal the written word of God that we have in front of us. Lord, help us to all understand that. Help us when we read our Bible, not just to see it as a duty or something that's going to earn us any favor with God, but it's something that's going to help us understand who Christ is and be changed into his image more and more. Lord, we just thank you for for all you're going to do in our lives. We thank you that um, you've given to us each other. You've given us the family of God. You've given us your word. And Lord, I just pray that all of us, when we read the word this week, that we'll read it until it burns and that we'll have to turn around and run seven miles and tell somebody else. Let's pray this in all Jesus' name. Amen.